Welcome to the Art of Teaching podcast. I'm Matthew Green, and I'm so grateful that you joined me today. Megan Dredge is a skilled and animated presenter, communicator, educator, and trainer. Her passion is to place resources in the hands of principals, school leaders, and teachers so that they educate and communicate better than ever before. Even more than her incredible accomplishments, she is a wonderful, inspiring friend. Megan is one of those rare individuals in which you always leave a conversation with her feeling challenged and inspired to do more. Megan is one of the most dedicated, kind, and generous people that I know, and her and her husband Rowan have had more of an impact on my life and the lives of others than we could ever put into words. I'm so glad to get to share this episode with you. Megan Dredge, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat. It is so great to be here. I love what you're doing. I love how this podcast is already glowing global, I believe, all the way to Lithuania. This is cool. True. If you've made it in Lithuania, you have. Hey, you have all the way from Aussie land to there. Sounds good to me. Amazing. Um, what, before we get started, what can you see outside your nearest window? Window cleaners literally left my house. 20 minutes ago all I can see is the window it is sparkling like you wouldn't believe I wouldn't care what was on the other side of it right now I'm like wow that looks divine so yeah every window in my house I've just gone around and surveyed it and I'm like window cleaners they need to be paid more because they do a beautiful job brought so much joy to me just seeing it all that's, that's amazing. So you are coming from the beautiful Melbourne. What's it like down there at the moment? Uh, it's been beautiful. Um, Easter time it is at the moment when we're recording this interview today and uh, autumn is gorgeous in Melbourne. It's still lovely and warm and uh, it's just beautiful. So, yeah, good to stay here in Melbourne today. What is your coffee order for when we can finally sit down and have a coffee? Oh, yeah. Well, this is really this is important information to know about people, right? I hope you ask all of your guests this very important question. I do. I've got a uh, Excel <laughs> spreadsheet and everyone's coffee orders. I do. Oh, come on. My mum used to have a little book and when people came over, you'd go to the surname, like a little address book, and she'd write people's coffee orders in there so that the next time they came, you didn't have to ask them. It was You could just bring them their tea or coffee just how they like it. So there you are. It's a modern version of that, an Excel spreadsheet. What is? I'm a uh, soy flat white. Fantastic. Yes. Lovely. Yep. Soy flat. I do not like foam. Foam is not my friend. I want it flat. Just save the cappuccinos for someone else, not for me. Fantastic. What is the <laughs> best piece of advice you have ever received? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, professionally, and I know we're going to talk about a little bit about what I've done and it's not that great. Other people seem to think it is, but I'm like, hey, I'm just a person just like you. Um, but someone who's written a lot of books received this advice and this person gave the advice to me. And in the context of writing and developing content and, um, and having original thought, I suppose, this person said, don't think book, think book series. And I've applied that concept in lots of ways. Obviously, when I was first writing my book, I, I thought, you know, because I think when you get to a big project like this, you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to finish it. And I kept, I kept saying to myself, don't think book, think book theory, book, um, a book series. But what I love about it is that I've applied to other parts of my life and now with my own children is, you know, sometimes we do limit ourselves in what we can and can't do. Yeah. And, you know, we use words like just, oh, well, you know, someone phones you and they're like, it's just me. And I'm like, no, it's not just you, actually, it's you. Um, or it's, it's only me or I'm only going to do this or, you know, I just, you know, I just got that done. Um, so that whole idea of just thinking a little bit more broadly. Yeah. And so, yeah, when I heard that advice, don't think book, think book series. I'm like, yeah, that's it. Like I am going to do more than one great thing in my life at least I hope so um so yeah just just keep your vision a little bit broader and don't limit yourself too much sounds a bit cliche it's actually really true well I think if there's anybody that embodies that it's yourself like I think there's always I'm always inspired by the amount of 
work and things that you can get done. Um, it's uh, from my point of view, it, it really does look incredible. And I think just looking <laughs> my mum must have phoned you before this interview, right? Gave you all the tips. Yes. Speaking of books, what is your favorite book or a book that's had an impact on your life? It doesn't have to be an education. It can be. Um, yeah. Look, it's a great question. I remember reading many, many years ago, um, The Magic of Thinking Big yeah. um, by Schwartz. And uh, it's, a, it's a classic. It's the, you know, walk 20% faster, hold your head 20% higher. A lot of these kind of, um, you know, now... I was going to say antiquated, but it's, you know, a different way of thinking now. Um, I recently read a book called The One Thing, oh, yeah. and it's written by, and uh, it's a bright yellow book. It's written by an American uh, realist, actually, real estate agent. Um, and especially, I think it's chapter six in that book, which is all about developing habits and um, about being disciplined. And he really kind of reframes this idea of discipline. You know, it's really cool to talk yeah. about discipline. It's really cool. Oh, you know, you have your disciplines in place get yourself set up the night before, do your morning routine, do your evening routine, which I actually do, all those things. Um, but what he says, the reframe he says is you only require discipline for a really short period of time because if you keep doing that disciplined thing, it actually becomes a habit. And when you have a, yeah. have a habit, like cleaning your teeth, hopefully that's something that you do regularly. So I read this book about discipline and, you know, something that I'm always trying to, what other disciplines can I put into place? But he actually was very freeing in the way that he talked about it, saying, you know, actually you only need discipline. You need a burst of discipline. And if you can keep that burst going for enough time, then eventually that discipline will become a habit. So, um I, yeah, I by, is it by Keller, Gary Keller? Yes, Gary Keller. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Gary Keller. I, I'm sorry, Gary. I momentarily I, forgot your name. I have ready to go on Audible. I just haven't listened to it yet. But I've uh, you can just go straight. I'm pretty sure it's chapter six. Just go straight there. And and I guess following on from that, talking about habits is um, James Clear, Atomic Habits. Um, it, it's a bigger read, but it is fantastic. And so many practical stories, practical applications yeah. um, has been fantastic. And most recently, I'm rereading Anne of Green Gables, which I read as a kid. I was in a little secondhand bookstore, one of the most favorite places my husband and I like going to uh, and on a recent holiday we introduced our children they've been to one before but this they got it they were like so all of these books and they're all reduced prices and like we can buy them and we're like yeah and they went nuts and Rowan and I were like yes we're amazing parents our kids love a bookstore all right um, you know like we'd made it in parenthood land yeah. um, and if you don't have kids yet that's okay you might understand that one day but it was just like this moment where you're like my kids love books oh we're amazing yeah and so so yeah, I bought Anne of Green Gables and I'm two thirds of the way through it and it's just lovely to read. It's just a lovely story of hope and um, perseverance and, um, you know, making good from bad. And yeah, so yeah, I, it's, you probably shouldn't have asked me that. Me, oh, I, I started I with that because yeah. like I, like we could just chat this whole interview about books. Um, so yeah, something I'm deeply passionate about. It's um, it, it's so wonderful that you um, that especially with your children that you've really instilled that love of books because quite often the photos that I see of your beautiful kids, one of them's either holding a book or writing <laughs> or doing something. How do you um, how did you instill that value into your kids? Um, because that's very like, easy. Just read to them. Read, yeah, yeah. yeah. It um, you know, it sounds so ridiculously simplistic. Yeah. But if you read to your children, which isn't a hard thing to do, um, and, you know, the same applies if you're a teacher listening to this right now or you're aspiring to be a teacher, the same applies in a classroom. You know, sometimes we think that reading a story is just for very young children, mm -hmm. but it's all about the kind of story that you pick and the kind of ownership that you have when you read it. So, you know, I recently read a picture book to an upper primary class and at first they were like, oh, Mrs D, what are you doing? But then it's all, you know, the theatre comes out, right? I'm a bit of a theatrical person. It's all in how you you couch it and how you present this to students so with my own children I very very simply I just read to them every single day um, and it's not just educational it's a beautiful yeah. moment to have with kids when you're reading to them and you're sharing a character yeah. together sharing a story together yeah, um, and yeah yeah my yeah. Uh, 
we've got two very young children and, and our youngest is 18 months. She always goes to bed holding a book and I, I, she quite often tries to read it upside down, but she's 18 months. <laughs> doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But I think just having that for her, it is such a natural thing to be able to, when she goes to bed, to take a book with her and to sit and read. Yeah. And it's so wonderful to see. And I remember the first time I was probably six or seven and uh, I went uh, with my parents to a library the first time I can remember. And um, I remember my dad saying to me, you can take one of these books home, you can borrow it. And for me, it was just this moment of there is a world of possibilities that has just yes. to me. And I think Absolutely. I always say that to the parents of the kids that I teach, the most important thing you can do is to, is to read to your kids. It doesn't have to be a half an hour, an hour. It can be five or ten minutes, but get That's into it. that habit. And, it's so, it's so lovely to see and I've uh, known your children from when they were so young and they still mm. always seem to be holding a book or drawing something or doing... Well, we become that parent where we're like, put the book down because like please like do it like clean your room please put this stuff away and we look at each other and I'm saying to Ro and my husband I'm like we're telling our kids to put the book down like some parents would be like you're crazy but we are those parents we're like what have we created this love of books is kind of overriding everything else but hey I'd rather have that than be trying to encourage them to pick a book up so yeah we'll deal with it that way absolutely (laughs) and Mika just for those people that have not heard um, um, about you, where did it all start for you and why did you decide to dedicate your life to education? Well, um, one of my most um, vivid memories, you just mentioned your dad there, it was of my own mum. And I can remember back in the day, many years ago, when we were in, my sister and I, I've got one younger sister, we were in primary school and we attended a private school here in Australia and my mum worked in a government school, in a public school. And so the, the reason I say that is the school holidays were different. And so for the, the extra week of holidays that we got in the private school system, for a couple of those days, we would go to school with my mum, who was a primary school teacher and so I've got memories of going to school with my mum which I don't think you could really do now but then it was okay and uh, my sister and I would go to school with her and be with her class for the day and I've just got this memory my mum is a very passionate person and she was very passionate as a teacher and I've got this memory of her standing on another thing you can't do now standing on one of the tables in the music room and she taught the kids this song and she was standing on the table like conducting them singing them like all this zeal and energy and these kids they were year six students and they were fully engaged now if you've ever taught year six and you've tried to teach them singing sometimes that can be a bit of a challenge uh, but not for my mum and so I had this picture of her influencing these kids and encouraging these kids and um, also when my when I was in year six myself I had an amazing year six teacher and uh, he really influenced me in a lot of ways. And uh, he was a great leader and um, he treated students um, more maturely and he brought out the best, I believe, in the students. And so that also inspired me to become a teacher. And so, yeah, I finished high school, graduated year 12 and went to university and studied primary school teaching, majored in um, music and drama, uh, which I still really love. And uh, if I did it again, I'd probably add in English because I'm really, like I said, I love books. I love um, words. I'm every day. I've already been on etymology online today, just FYI. I'm always looking up um, that kind of thing. But yeah, so I I started off and I've worked in the private system. I've worked in the public system. Now, most of my um, teaching to students, well, it happens in a variety of ways. So I still do a bunch of casual teaching. Uh, It's like substitute teaching with my, my my kids' school, which is great. I love it. And I absolutely love teaching as much, if not more, than when I first started uh, and a lot of that's been a choice by the way because you know we all have moments where we lose our passion and I'm sure you know Matt all the research about teachers yeah. who drop out very early on and I'm sure you know you, you might want to mention that today but yeah there's been moments where I'm like wow this is really hard this is really challenging I don't know what to do with this particular student so yeah I still uh, teach uh, a lot of kids and I'm also very involved in the gifted and talented space so doing a lot of courses and programs for gifted and talented students. Amazing. 
uh, mainly on the east coast of Australia. And I'm also the global leadership coach for Propel Women. So we have over 5,000 leaders globally in 89 nations. I never know the number because it increases every month, but it could even be in the 90s now. What a great problem, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm like, please give me an update. They're like, well, we don't really know. We've got the update from three weeks ago. So yeah, so I have the privilege of um, leading the leaders and training the leaders who are involved in that organization. And that's basically about empowering women and empowering wherever they are and so yeah i have the great privilege and responsibility of training them um, to be leaders and we do that via uh, an online webinar every single month with yeah it's pretty mind-blowing having you know five thousand people like you're just looking at a little camera like we are today and you know that there's five thousand people on the other side of it so it's a huge privilege but um I'm, i really love it and um it's certainly gives me an opportunity to do something I love, which is to encourage and believe in other people. So, yeah, and then I do a bit of consulting, a bit of educational leadership stuff, you know, a little bit of that. So every week, honestly, is different. Mm. And um, I quite like that. And I certainly like, I suppose, being the person in charge of my calendar now, um, which, you know, it wasn't like that for many years, but things change. And, yeah, and I've got two kids who... You know, I'm the most rose-coloured, wearing glasses mother you'll ever meet. So they're incredible. They're amazing. They're the best at everything. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just a normal parent. <laughs> and we've all had, if you've been teaching a while, you have a lot of, let's say, interesting characters as parents, right? Hopefully I'm not one of those and hopefully you aren't either, Matt. Um, but, yeah, you know. I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. Look, you've, you've, there's, there's so much in that, Megan, that you, that you talked about. And one of the things I did just want to touch on is um, you talked about uh, remaining passionate uh, with yeah. work and that was yeah. a choice. Yeah. Um, what, were, what were some of those choices that you made? Because you are um, genuinely the most passionate person that I know. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Matt. That's awesome. See, my mum did call you. <laughs> but that is also, um, that's also a discipline. And I think yeah. that's maybe something that uh, um, hasn't always I would assume hasn't always come easy or at least had to be a choice that you made. Um, so what were some of the choices that you made, made to remain passionate and are those things that you make, are those choices that you make once or are they ones that you have to make every day or every week or every month? They're excellent questions. They really are. And I think, you know, passion is one of these things that people talk about, you know, how do you find your passion or what is your passion? What does that word even mean? And, you know, for me, it, it means that thing that's on the inside of you that, that almost comes naturally to you. And I think that's why sometimes there's this never-ending search for passion yeah. because sometimes it's something we're so good at and something we care about so deeply that we don't really realise that that's actually something that's unique to us. Um, so, you know, when you talk to someone, I recently... Uh, produced a show for the ABC and it was in, that's the Australian Broadcasting Commission here in Australia. And um, it was on sustainability and uh, it was really exciting to be part of it. And I did all the educational notes to go with it. And I've always cared about uh, sustainability. I've always cared about recycling. Certainly we teach it in schools and things like that. But it took me writing that material for that show to help me to realise that I was actually quite passionate about it. Mm -hmm. So I give that example to say sometimes it's something outside of you that makes you realise, oh, not everyone cares about this like me. Like, I really care that I have four bins in my kitchen cupboard and I really care that that little plastic wrapper goes in the soft plastics and that the compost goes in the... Like, this is deeply important to me. Like, when I see someone put the wrong thing in my bin, I'm like, what? But it took something outside of me to help me realise, hey, I actually really care about this. I know a lot about it. I can do something about it. Um, and I guess I just thought everybody was like that. So I think sometimes with passion, we have to realise, hey, there's a lot of stuff inside of us. And certainly in the education space, you know, sometimes we make decisions about how good we are as a teacher at the end of a really bad day, or at the end of a really challenging interaction with a student or at the end of a, you know, annoying or, um, you know, yeah. derogatory email from a parent. And we're like, that's it. Teaching's not for me. Um, or, you know, I'm in the wrong profession or I can't, can't sustain this anymore. And so one of the big choices I had to make was around my own time. 
And I realised very early on, and in fact, very early on, on when I still was a beginning teacher, I started teaching beginning teachers about this. Okay. I realised that teaching was a job, and if you're a teacher, you're going to fully agree with what I'm about to say. Teaching is a job that never ends. You never get to the end of the shelf that's stacked. You never get to balance all the books and call it a day. You never go, okay, I've done all the things on my list. Great, I can go home now. Because the, teaching is this alive kind of organism that is always moving and always growing. You can always get better. You could always have marked more thoroughly. You could always have prepared more, you know, more work. You could have always taken more time to do that. You could have always, there's always something you could have done better. And so I had to realise early on that if I wanted to last in this career that I'd given my whole, like, educational life to, learning, studying, doing all the stuff, doing my honours, blah, 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 blah. If I, if I wanted to last, then I had to have some boundaries in place. And one of the first boundaries I put in place was on my own time. And I did something that people still roll their eyes at. They think I'm crazy. And I made a commitment. I am not taking work home. I know. Right. Everyone's like, you I respect you too much to say that you're crazy, <laughs> but I am surprised and amazed to hear how you managed to do that. Yeah, there is a parenthesis there just to, so everyone can breathe out right now while they're listening, right? The parenthesis is full of work that I need to do, but yeah. See, okay. but how many times is the car boot full of work? You take it home, yeah. you leave it there, you go in, you see the kids, you hang out with your partner, you watch a bit of TV, you cook dinner, whatever you do at night, go to the gym, whatever, and then you drive back to school the next day and it's all still in the boot. Yeah. That was me. And then I'd feel bad because I'd taken stuff home and I hadn't got any of it done. And then I'd be like, you know, you're so undisciplined or, you know, you're not working as hard as everyone else. And I thought, you know what, this is ridiculous. So the, there's two parentheses. One, I'm a morning person. So for me to try and work after dinner at night back then and now is ridiculous. It, yeah. it's, it's just, it doesn't suit the way I'm functioning, right? Other people are the opposite. They're like, I'm not doing anything. I'm sleeping until the last 30 seconds I possibly can and then I'm out the door. I'm the opposite. So that's the first parenthesis is bringing work home at night did not suit me and the way I function, even when I had small children. Um, and the second parenthesis, there are busy times in a teacher's year where I would have to break that rule. So when you've got reports, when your curriculum's due um, and, you know, depending on how your school functions for me, a lot of the parent-teacher interviews were fairly kind of intense um, times that I would like to prepare for. So, um, you know, there were very high standards and things like that. So around those three times during the term is when I would be, okay, I might have to bring a bit of work home or I might have to write some reports on the weekends. But they were not the norm. And so once I made that decision, and this is the important piece, once I made that decision not to take work home, my attention and focus and productivity at school dramatically changed. I began to make decisions more quickly. I began to use my time more wisely because what I found, and it was only after I made the decision, I found I kept saying in the back of my mind, oh, I'll finish that tonight. I'll work on that, you know, after dinner tonight. When I get home, I'll spend an hour on that. And so all day I was basically filling my metaphorical boot of my car with all the work I was going to get done that night, which really was probably actually the most important work, but I was putting it off and putting it in the boot of my car. And so when I made that decision, hey, I'm actually not going to take work home, if I have to stay an extra 30 minutes, that's okay. And that, that changes as well, right, depending on your lifestyle, if you have a partner, if you have children, if you're looking after a loved one, if you're still living at home with family, all of these things, this is not a hard and fast rule, but this was a guideline that worked for me because that was the, the amount of time I was spending on my job was bruising my passion for the job I was working on. So I had to make a decision that protected my time and, um, you know, allowed me to stay passionate and to stay alive and um you know not to be that teacher that's still drudging out every single day but their heart's not really in it and they're complaining about work and they're complaining about pay and they're complaining about the environment and parents and students and you know all of this stuff um i didn't want to be that person and so that that's there's lots of reasons but that's probably one of the biggest things that i did was protecting my passion meant making really clear decisions about what I was going to do with my time. Yeah, that's a, uh, thank you so much for sharing that. That's very, uh, 
uh, incredibly honest and I know that there's a lot of teachers out there whether they're new or further on in their careers that can really relate to that um, and it's something to be honest that I really want to try and get better at um, this year is actually leaving stuff at school because yeah. I have two little kids um, yeah life and a life outside of my job and what I have noticed is I actually require that time um, away and that time to rest and rejuvenate so that I yeah. can be great at what I do inside the classroom and so yeah I'm sure there's so many people that can really um, relate to that um, so thank you mm -hmm. thank you so much for sharing so because there are as you know there are some pretty um, pretty horrible statistics with new teachers I mean there's one study by Ewing and Smith that says between 25% and 40% of beginning teachers are likely to leave the profession in the first five years um, which is which is shocking when you think about it. When you think yeah. about so many people that are incredibly dedicated and incredibly committed, um, in your uh, on your in your work, you write a lot about teacher efficacy. Um, why do you think that's so important? So, for those people that that aren't aware of what teacher self efficacy is, is it's looking at teachers' abilities and beliefs um, to effectively handle the tasks, the obligations, and the challenges related to their profession. So, why do you think it's so important? as educators to be people that are self-aware, to be people that are mm. um, able to um, uh, be uh, able to um, be responsive and able mm. to um, actually um, engage in their work in meaningful ways. Why, why do you think efficacy is so important and why is it a focus in some of the work that you do? I think it's because you see the world as you are, not as it is. Yeah. And so whatever's going on inside my head and heart about what I believe about myself, what I believe about my students, what I believe about what they bring to the, to the classroom, about what I believe about my colleagues, um, my, my boss slash bosses, um, you know, what I believe about all of that is what I'm going to find. You know, my husband often says you, look, you get what you're looking for to the exclusion of everything else. Yeah. So, you know, we can all think of that pessimistic teacher um, you know, unfortunately, I can think of one right now who I worked with just last week and, you know, I see her coming and I'm like, you're going to say something negative. And this is where that self-protection, I think, comes in. Um, you know, we, we talked about passion in a minute ago and I, that was another area where I had to, in terms of what I believed, like I actually have to protect myself from who I hang around because you become like who you hang around. And so if I was going to hang around those negative people who are always complaining about all those things I listed earlier, then I unknowingly am actually going to become like them. Yeah. That's why as parent, as a parent, I'm very concerned about who my children hang around, deeply concerned about who they're with. Because I know they're going to become like those people. Yeah. And uh, even at a young age, right, we, we see it. And you can see it in the classroom, you know, the children that hang around each other, they become like each other. And sometimes that is a very, very positive thing. I'm totally um, a parent now. Yeah. I, yeah. It would be, and then you have kids and it's like I, um, I'm all about who, you, who your friends are. I remember my nanny yeah. said to me, show me your friends and I'll show you what you're like. And that is, that is so true. And I so true. There is, uh, schools are very interesting places. And I think as in with any organization, there are people that uh, want to be there and people that don't. And um, yeah. one of the decisions that I made early on in my career was that I would be someone that um, is actually positive and brings something, um, uh, brings a light, if you like, into the classroom mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. kids need that. They need to know that when uh, they walk into the classroom, that they're seen, that they're valued, that they're heard. Mm -hmm. um, and I've just seen over my career people that uh, people that aren't. Um, and it's not about being naive. I think it's about actually having an understanding and acknowledging the facts and the complexities of our job, um, but also realising that it is the greatest job in the world to get to stand Absolutely. in front of a class of people and to help mould and to help shape them is... I don't know any greater privilege. And I know that every um, every time I send my children off to... Um, off to daycare, I'm, 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 I'm handing over these things that mean more to me than life itself. And totally, so yeah. Parents do that to us every single day. To every, that's exactly right. And that's the belief, you know, like I love the belief that you have and it's certainly one I hold as well. And it is a huge privilege, you know. If you are a teacher, 
typically for 95% of the population, you have more time with that child than their parent does. And you have the ability to influence that child more than their parent does. And even if you are a high school teacher and you've got, you know, those kids for a couple of hours a week, that still could be more one-on-one time with that teenager than what they get with their parent in any given week. So you are entrusted with this human. um, And yeah, I, I totally take it seriously. And now with what I do, whether I've got, you know, so many students all the time, many different ages, classes, environments, every single one I'm like, and this is, you know, we're talking about self-efficacy, right? Every My belief is that I can hopefully be a positive influence on every single one of those. Is that unrealistic? Probably, but I still hold that belief because holding beliefs don't have to be totally ingrained in reality. It probably is unrealistic, but I'd rather shoot right up there and fall a little short um, than, you know, not have that goal at all. So, yeah, in... Every child has been entrusted into your care for a reason. And you know what? Even that one you're thinking of right now that drives you crazy or whose parents drive you crazy. It's okay. I'm a parent. I'm allowed to talk like this now. When I used to do PD before I was a parent, I'd have to be a little bit more careful. But now I'm like, hey, I'm a parent. I can say all of this stuff to you. <laughs> um, because we can all think of those, those challenges, right? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, how you see those students you teach, what you believe about the subject that you teach, what you think about the school that you're in, the socioeconomic environment that you're in, all of those beliefs influence how you will or will not teach that class that day. And, you know, it's the ones that choose to believe differently. You know, you've got classic movies like Mr Holland's Opus or we could pull out any of those classic ones where a teacher dared to believe differently to what everyone else did and they're the stories we're still telling today. And I want to be that teacher and I know you do as well. Yeah, that's so true. I, um, I'm, I'm going to be doing an interview soon with my uh, year three teacher, a lady called Miss Jones. who uh, Amazing. Who, She'll always be Miss Jones too. You won't be able to call I her by her first name. I'm emailing her. I can't call her Beth. I just <laughs> no, can't. no, no. Miss Jones. <laughs> he was one of those teachers that um, like we were going through a pretty uh, challenging family time uh, when I was in year three in England. And, and she was one of those teachers that I knew that every time I walked into a classroom, um, she saw me and she heard me yeah. and I'm sure every other child in their class felt the same way. Yeah. And so for those people that are listening, if you get a chance to to thank that teacher that made a difference in your life, mm-hmm. then please mm-hmm. do. Um, because I have, I have no idea what was going on in her life at the time, but all I mm-hmm. knew is that when I was in her class that, mm-hmm. that I mattered and she absolutely changed my life. Like it was going in, uh, I, I look at the trajectory of where it was probably heading and some of the things that I was doing even back in year three and that was, it, it wasn't going to be a desirable outcome but Miss Jones taught me that um, that actually really mattered and the people in, the students in our class really mattered and there's so many people that just remember her. So if you get a chance, please, yeah, everyone listening, please thank your teacher because it is a thankless job sometimes and it's really mm-hmm. hard. Mm, so mm. if you get the chance, send them an email, get in contact and just say thank you because I know that when I see my former students or I get a little handwritten note from somebody, or it just it's just the most meaningful thing in the world because we think that we're just doing what we're doing and it's not mm, special. Mm, but mm. teachers every single day are changing lives and so um, I would encourage everyone to reach out because you, you talked about um, a teacher that made a big difference in your life. Mm, mm. Um, I think I've written it down somewhere. My- my year six teacher. Six teacher. Yeah, it's yeah. The same thing, and even um, exactly. Even as we're speaking, you're smiling about your year six teacher. Which <laughs> well, I mean, you've said it twice now. Yeah. They saw you, right? And I talked to a student last year, and um, and he, sh- this student, she was telling me about her favourite year six teacher, and his name was Mr Butler. And um, I said to her, "Why?" She's like, "Mr Butler." This was her year six teacher. Mr Butler was amazing and I just stopped her and I said can you tell me why like you've got so much energy the way you're talking to me about Mr Butler why was he so amazing and she looked at me and her eyes filled up with tears and she said he saw me and I thought you know she's a confident girl she's got a great family you know she she everything's great about the way her life currently is in her mind but the fact that her teacher saw her 
and noticed her. That's all it took. And sometimes we talk about changing the world and we talk about this grand profession, which it is, and I believe it, you know, and we can quote Nelson Mandela, it is the one single catalyst to change the world. And that's true. And I wholeheartedly believe that. But sometimes we think, how do we practically do that? Like, how do we be this kind of teacher with this kind of self-belief? That's easy. Just notice. Yeah. Yeah. And that could be you know, a high elbow, which we're all really good at now. It could be a smile. It could be a tick on a page. It could be a thumbs up across the room. It could be anything like that. Just notice them. And one of the things I say to my students, I do a lot of substitute teaching, as I said, at my children's school. And I always tell them, if you see me around, I'm here every day, either teaching or picking up my kids, just say hi, just say hi, just say hi, Mrs. D. And because that just little hello could be that one thing that could just encourage that student. So, you know, if you're feeling right now yeah i want to be that teacher but i don't know how it's easy just notice it's really easy i remember a um a friend of mine um i think i got a gentleman called dave ridden which we both know he uh, mm -hmm. he said to a group of us once he said look nobody shouts and nobody runs just when you walk through a public space keep your head held high and look look at people's eyes and so wow. for me, like I remember walking through um, a crowd of people and, 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 and literally lifting my eyes up and looking and acknowledging people. And I, wow. I, I try and do that in class or try and do that when I'm racing and rushing to the photocopier. There's always a paper jam. There's always a blocked toilet, which is just causing chaos. Yeah. And so what I've tried to do each time I'm in an open space is remember those words and actually just look around and acknowledge people. Um, I had a student once who, who raced up to me to show me a drawing that she did and regrettably I was pretty busy and to be honest, I kind of um, I kind of wrapped her up a bit too quickly and um, mm -hmm. I had this moment about 30 seconds later, um, I went back to her and said, look, I'm really sorry. I, I got down on, on my knees and I looked at this little drawing that she did and I just said, Aww. wow, that is absolutely incredible. Thank you for showing me. And I think to make sure that we are interruptible by our students. Beautiful. We're able to, because we're, we're not that busy. And sometimes I think we can get busy doing things that are not that mm. important. Yeah. At the end of the day, yeah. if you don't get your photocopying done, look, I probably should have been more organized. But the truth is I very nearly missed this moment with this child who had yeah. waited all evening uh, to, to show me this picture that she drew. And it was... Wow. Look, it wasn't a great picture. That's not that's beside the point. It was right, right. Really, really. It bad. meant something to her. Exactly, and so yeah. I think I, um, I think for me, like just remembering that there are these moments every single mm. classroom. Mm. There, these these little these little opportunities to connect with kids um, that that really do make a difference. And at the end of the day, like I don't remember what Miss Jones taught me. I don't remember learning about I don't know, you know shapes or how to write a sentence or how to read a book. I remember how this teacher made me feel when I right. in the classroom and when I left at the end of the year. Mm. So I think it's really um, it's really wonderful to hear you talk about those, um, connecting with those students and remembering mm. that. The reason mm. why we're here is to have those connections and to be able to, um, that's what kids remember. But, um, Absolutely. And that's what adults remember, right? You know, John yeah. Maxwell says a similar version. He says, walk slowly through the crowd. Yeah, maybe that's you know, wherever you are. Um, yeah. No, well, it was different, so we'll, we'll give that one to Dave. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, he's like, why rush? Like, just walk slowly through the crowd, yeah. which takes that we come back to self-belief. Well, what do I believe about myself? Am I that person that's got my head down, that doesn't feel confident? You know, you walk into assembly and all these faces, just look at them. They're just little people. Even the 17-year-olds, they're just little people. Yeah. Even if, you know, you're young and you're like, I'm only five years older than them. That's okay. That's a lot to a 17-year-old. Like, you're ancient to them. So don't worry too much about that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, walk slowly through the crowd and make, make those moments, notice those moments. So you work a lot, um, as you mentioned, with um, both children and also adults um, mm -hmm. with your role, your amazing role with uh, Propel. What are some of the things that you've learned um, as a teacher that have um, served you well working with adults? Are we all just big kids that need <laughs> Well, I'm married to a big kid, so I would have to answer yes to that. <laughs> you know, there's there's never any shortage of laughs and craziness in our house. Um, you can just ask my kids. They will definitely uh, tell you that I'm telling you. <laughs> so, yeah, look, I think, um, you know, being a primary school teacher, certainly that 
has helped me teach adults. Um, it's certainly helped me to have the organisational skills and those kinds of things. Um, and, of course, the principles are transferable. The way that you apply them might be a little bit different, but it's still really important to have a student-centred classroom, whether they're, you know, 2 or 22 or 52. Um, it's still really important to have those... <laughs> exactly. Like, it's still really important to have those things in place. Um, it's still really important to honour people and appreciate people for who they are, whether they're a child or an adult. It's still really important to value people's opinions and it's really, really important to engage learners at the beginning, middle and end of a lesson, whether you're doing a keynote talk or whether you're, you know, teaching them shapes in year three. It's still really important to have those things in place. So for me, working with adults has been very exciting because I've realised, yeah, I care about teaching. I don't just care about teaching kids and I'm not putting that down. I love yeah. teaching kids, but it's helped me to realise I actually care about education. I actually am of the belief that Nelson, of what Nelson Mandela said, that, that education is the most powerful weapon we have to change the world. And, you know, education changes lives. Education brings acknowledgement. Education brings awareness. Education builds people and encourages and empowers people. You know, a lot of my daughter, she's 11 now, but when she was seven, she started her own business and um, she asked Rowan and I the question, Mum, Dad, why do I have to wait to be an adult to change the world? Great question. And that's exactly what we said. And if anyone ever asks you the question and you're not sure what to say, your answer is always that is a really great question because we were like, you're right. Like we never said you had to wait to be an adult, but somehow in her thinking, why do I have to wait? And so we said, well, what do you want to do right now? And so she um, sold hair accessories packs for school kids Amazing. and built a freshwater well in Cambodia. And since then, she's put over 50 children through school for a year. Um, all because she had something inside of her. She, My point is, is that she had education, which helped her, that gave her knowledge, which she could then use to educate someone else mm. which will help them and give them knowledge which they will be able to pass on and on and on so mm -hmm. i think you know teaching adults has certainly helped me to do that and being a parent has yeah. certainly yeah. helped me to do that you know i'm i'm never just a mom or just a teacher i'm always a mom and always a teacher and i think that's okay you know if you're a teacher and you're also passionate about sport one of the most unhelpful pieces of pieces of advice i received in my first year at university was when you get to your classroom, leave your life in a suitcase at the door. And, you know, that, that lecturer is still actually at that university. I see his name and I'm like, he gave me terrible advice. I don't know what else you taught me, but that was bad advice. Because my philosophy, my belief inside my head is the exact opposite. In fact, everything you are should be amplified in the classroom. Yeah. The sports nature that you have should be amplified the, mm. the fact that you can speak three languages should be amplified the fact that you grew up in another country should be amplified like all of those things is actually what makes you you and it makes you interesting and it makes you intriguing to students um both young and old so um it's about bringing your full self to the space yeah. and um not shying away from that you know that's, and being okay really, yeah look that's really powerful advice yeah i think it's and to realize that you're like we don't have our lives don't exist in these little suitcases or compartments i think yeah. i my life outside my classroom so the things that i get to be a part of i always thought it was like this tension between i need to give up everything and just focus on teaching but the richness mm -hmm. that i've discovered by mm -hmm. trying to have a balanced life and having interests outside the classroom and a great marriage and a great relationship with my kids and mm. reading books and all of them running and all of that kind of stuff for me has had such a positive in, impact um, mm. in the, with the kids that I teach. I think that's really important. And I know that there's, a, there's teachers out there that need to know that it's okay to have time off. It's okay to pursue things you're passionate about because mm. your children, the kids that you're responsible for are looking to you for an example. And if they see someone who has no life outside their classroom, someone whose health and relationships are falling apart, um, what message is that sending to? Exactly. You know, I think it's really important. Um, Megan, we've got a couple, a couple of uh, questions just to close up. I, I want to be respectful of your time. It's so easy to talk to you. It feels like it's been five minutes. but <laughs> Right back at you, Max. Amazing. Little, You're little. a wonderful host. Oh, thank you so much. Um, just wondering um, if you think that the role of the teacher um, is changing at all 
Um, I mean, you, um, when you trained as a teacher, when I trained as a teacher, it was a little while ago. Um, would you, do you think anything needs to be changed in terms of initial teacher training? Oh, and how do we, another question is, well, how do we prepare our students for a world that's changing so quickly? That is a number of questions in one. <laughs> well, look, I mean, I think the responsibilities of teachers, as far as I can understand, and certainly, you know, talking to my mum about this as well, who's mm. taught for so, so long, um, and she now is in the university space and um, is amazing at what she does, teaching adults to be teachers. She's in the special education space now. So, yeah, I talk to her a lot about this, and I think, you know, over time, the responsibility of teachers has certainly increased. Yeah. Um, you know, what teachers are now, you know, even I suppose legally responsible for in terms of what they have to deliver for the curriculum and all of that kind of thing has certainly increased. And um, so their responsibility has increased in terms of their role. Hopefully, it's still the same. Mm. Hopefully, that is, and this is, you know, my self belief in words. Hopefully that is to fulfil the responsibilities that they have as a teacher, be that that they are ever increasing, um, and to do the best job of that and to individually educate and empower every one of your students as best as you possibly can given the structure and the school environment and all yeah. of those things. Yeah. So I think the teachers who are lasting in this space are the ones who have made a commitment to do that and we've already talked about that. Yeah. Um, and who are the ones that are keeping up to date with changes and with what's happening. And I think, you know, in some respects, education, you know, COVID-19 and all of that has forced education to change in, yeah. I think, a lot of positive ways. You know, teachers who had never embraced digital media, teachers who, you know, didn't know how to quickly go to a YouTube video that was exactly illustrating what you were talking about and that wasn't seen as cheating. It was actually seen, actually, I can play a 40-second clip that's going to add a whole nother layer to this. Teachers that didn't know how to do that, um, that, a lot of them certainly know how to do that now because they've had to. They've been thrown into it. So I think, um, you know, and then there's aspects of education that maybe haven't changed for a long time, yeah. um, which, you know, maybe are starting to slowly change. I don't know. Yeah. I don't have the latest research on that, but I, I do know that the teachers that are going to, to last are the ones that care. Um, and, and importantly, don't just care about those that they're teaching, but care about themselves yeah. and care about themselves enough to be true to themselves and to take care of themselves, whatever that looks like physically, emotionally, mentally, um, psychologically, all of those things to actually own your own journey and own your own stuff and take responsibility. If you need help with something, go get help. But don't make it school's fault. Don't make it your boss's fault. Actually own it. And um, if you need to take a weekend off, well, you have Matt and my permission. Take the weekend off, seriously. Like yeah. your boot's going to have all that stuff in it on Monday morning anyway. So it doesn't really matter, right? <laughs> Look, uh, Megan, I am going to publicly commit to you <laughs> Apart from report writing, which is in week six, I am not going to, and my wife will listen back to this, I'm sure. Uh-oh, uh-oh. work home unless it's report writing. Well, there you are. Did everyone hear it? They're all going to be messaging you, Matt. Or your I know you will listeners. ask me. So, but, but I think it's, it's important uh, to, to do that. And I think speaking to you, like, uh, we've known each other for, for quite a long time and you always mm -hmm. are, are so positive and so vibrant. And I think that's... It's such, I think you're such a good example of how to um, decide to stay passionate with what you're doing and, and yeah. how to, to really um, uh, really just put everything into what you're working on. So yeah, thank you so much for that, Megan. Just a couple more questions um, and then we will, we will wrap up. Um, where can people find more about you? Um, it's, I'm hesitating in answering this. I have a website, megandredge.com, so you can go check it out. It's uh, half redone um, at the moment, so, you know, I don't really like mentioning it, um, but you can find out a little bit there um, more about me. And um, You've got some I, wonderful resources on that, though, especially with your... Yeah, there's a lot of 
yeah, a lot of cool stuff on there. And people still email me. They're like, that was amazing. That was awesome. That was so helpful. Um, and, uh, yeah, so so that's probably the best way to connect with me. Um, and, yeah, I suppose you can Fantastic. Google me. I do a bunch of development and I work a lot with Teacher Training Australia. So they provide professional development throughout Australia. So um, I've got a bunch of stuff on there. If you're, you know, interviews, resumes, that kind of thing, all my courses are available through Teacher Training Australia and anything to do with um, teaching to the camera, you know, the Zoom stuff, all that stuff we're doing now um, and even having Zoom interviews and um, skills, talking to parents via camera, that kind of thing. That's mm -hmm. I've got a bunch of courses um, available that way. So well, I'll make sure I put all of your information in, um, in the show notes and also any uh, podcasts yeah. or videos that I can find so that people can uh, look at your wonderful work. Uh, final question, Megan, who do you think would be a great guest for the Art of Teaching podcast? Okay, I've got a few ideas, but I think I'm just going to give you one. It's a guy called Adam Hudson. And uh, in one of my other lives, I uh, sell on Amazon. I have two companies that sell on Amazon and um, Adam Hudson, Hudson, H-U-D-S-O-N. He's an Aussie guy from the Gold Coast. He's inspirational um, and he's an incredible teacher. He's very much in the entrepreneurial space, but the my connection with him is all of the training I did for developing companies that sell on Amazon was through Adam. And uh, so all of his teacher training. And uh, if you've been around YouTube a bit, a bit, you might've seen his videos come up. Um, that's one of the key ways that he gets people into his courses and it's fantastic. It's brilliant. Um, and yeah, he is... Uh, like I said, he's a passionate entrepreneur. Uh, he's a very wise man and uh, he's a fantastic educator. He's done all kinds of online presentations. He's spoken with some really cool people like Robert Kiyosaki, Grant Cardone, all those kind of people. And um, he would just be an amazing guest. And he, he, he actually embodies what we're talking about where he cares about the individual. And so with the thousands of people that have done this particular course, my connection with him, he, he cares about them. He cares right. about us as students. Um, he cares about his brand, about the hard work he's put into the course and to developing it. So, yeah, I sound like I'm, I'm pumping up his course. I, I, I've got no, you know, nothing, no back pay coming my way. Um, I just think he'd be, he'd be a great guest. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I will definitely uh, check out his work. I think I know who you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Megan, I just wanted to say um, thank you so, so much for your time today. It's always a, awesome. always a pleasure to get to connect with you and um, you and your beautiful family have had such an impact on my life. So I just wanted Thanks, to thank man. you for that and please, uh, please pass on my best and hopefully we'll chat again soon. All the best. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Art of Teaching podcast. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions today. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com and please remember to subscribe for future episodes. If you could also let me know your thoughts of our discussions, please rate and review the episode on iTunes and share the resource with anyone that you think would find it useful. Thank you for listening. Until next time.